Good morning, uh, Anthem Church. I'm Chris. I'm one of the, the staff pastors here at Anthem, and I get to continue to walk us through our stewardship series. So if you've been here the last few weeks, um, we've started our series called Steward Script, A Stewarded Life. And with this, we're, we're talking about how to steward the different areas of life that, that God has given us. So this is a little uh, graphic there of all these different areas that the Lord has given us responsibility to steward well. And today we're going to be talking about friendship. Uh, and if you're like me, uh, Matt uh, assigned this sermon to me, and I was initially thinking on it, and there was just something really interesting in thinking about stewarding friendship. Because uh, again, stewardship is a, it's something that's been given, and it's a responsibility. But with, with friendships, I think there's sometimes something that comes to mind with it, of, especially when we think friendships in the church. It's like, friendships are, are nice to have. But, but is that something that I actually need? Like, it's like, yeah, that would be nice to have friendships in the church and the body. Or, uh, but, but, like, I've got some friends. I've got some people. But we, we even feel, we feel really connected through digital technologies, through social media, through all these things. It's like I've got connection through my Facebook, through my Instagram, through my Twitter. Like, I've got the, I've got the connection box checked. I've got the needs box checked. If, if I need anything, I can just, like literally just get on an app and I got my groceries to my door. If I'm sick or something, I need people to come bring me food. Like, I, I got that. People can bring it to me. I can drive somewhere really easily to go get the stuff I need. I can work from home or even when I do go to work, I've got my cubicle, I've got my spot, I'm good to go. There's all these different areas and these different avenues and, and we can walk through and we can check all these boxes. If you were to put like a diagram of friendship out, it's like, Check this box for connection. Check this box for needs or met. Check this. And we can go through and we can check, 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 check. And amidst that, be one of the loneliest societies in the history of the world. But friendships in church would be nice to have, right? And I think today I would love for us to, to have a mental shift from Friendships in the church are nice to I need friendships in the church. If there's a target, if there's one thing you're taking away, if there's a sentence you're taking away today, it is I need friendships in the church. So we're going to look at two stories today, two different narratives. One is going to be Jonathan and David, which is that, that passage that Toby read for us, and the other one is going to be Peter in the early church and seeing like how did they navigate Friendship. What was the purpose? What was the need? Why did they have that? And so first we're going to look at Jonathan and David. So Toby read that. We're going to actually start in chapter 20 uh, of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel 20, 12 through 17. It says, And Jonathan said to David, The Lord, the God of Israel, be witness, when I have sounded out my father, about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if he is well disposed towards David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do you harm? The Lord do so to Jonathan, and more also if, it, if I do not disclose this to you and send you away, that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you, 
as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever. When the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him. For he has loved him as his own soul. So what's going on here? What's the context of chapter 20? Why is, it's like Jonathan, you're being kind of intense, man, as he's talking to David. But in in chapter 18, what we see is that Saul begins to grow jealous of David. Saul uh, sends David out to fight for him, and David does a really, really good job at what Saul has tasked him to do. And he actually, he like becomes like head over all these armies. He is just carrying out what Saul has asked him to do in such a great way that he returns. And 18, verse 7 and 8, it says, And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And it says, And Saul was very angry and this displeased him. Insecure Saul did not like that people were singing and celebrating David for what he had done. And saying, yeah, Saul has done this, but look how much more David has done. So insecure Saul becomes jealous, and in chapter 9, we see that he actually tries to kill David. David's like sitting there playing a lyre, playing him a nice tune, and a spear comes by him, and David escapes. Saul, Saul is, is gotten to the point where he's trying to kill him. In chapter 19, verse 1, it says, And Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants, that they should kill David. So notice, notice who's there. Spoke to Jonathan. This is after that chapter 18 that, that to- Toby read for us. And this says, As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, this is 18 verses 1 through 4, speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. So Jonathan and David had formed this deep, deep friendship, and then Saul is telling Jonathan and the rest of his servants, you need to kill David. So what's Jonathan to do with his friend that just a chapter before, he says, I am knit to you as I am my own soul. Like, they have a deep, deep friendship. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of his robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. See, this is the beginnings of their friendship. And there's actually something really interesting here. Sometimes people will read this and they'll say that Jonathan and David were, were like in a dating relationship or whatever it would have been in 1000 BC. They, they, they will see that they were knit together in a soul. But actually that jump there just shows that we don't have a mental framework, a mental box for this kind of love and depth of relationship. Because that's not what it was. It was a deep, deep friendship. So I want to challenge our box and our framework for what we think deep friendships look like. You see this deep friendship between them. Proverbs 18.24 says, There is a friend that sticks closer than a brother, a friend that is closer than flesh and blood. And this is what we see right here with Jonathan and David. This is the type of friend they had, a deep bond and love for one another. So back to chapter 20, verses 12 to 17, kind of understanding context now. 
this first part of our need for friendships in the church is when the burdens of life come. Why do we need friendships in the church? When the burdens of life come, who are you going to go to? See, when David is, is going through hardship and being pursued by Saul, he has a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Notice how Jonathan talks to David here. David is in anguish as he goes and talks to, to Jonathan about this. That, that first verse in chapter 20, David fled to him and said to Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt and what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? He's confused. He's anguishing. And he goes to Jonathan and he's processing. Goes to a friend to process. And asks, what do I need to do? What have I done? Show me my sin. Please. See, but Jonathan processes with him, but he, he processes in a very specific way. You'll notice he processes in light of who God is and God's promises. This is how Jonathan processes with his friend David. If you go, go back to those verses, verse 12 to 17, Jonathan said to David, The Lord, the God of Israel, be my witness. He doesn't, he doesn't anchor any of this in himself. He anchors this in who God is. He's saying, God as my witness. He continues to speak, and he said, The Lord do so to Jonathan. May the Lord be with you. Show me the steadfast love of the Lord. When the Lord cuts off all of the enemies of David from the earth, Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. He continues to anchor again and again in who God is and continues to point again and again to who God is. Nothing about himself, nothing that says, hey, David, I am your strong rock. I've got you. We're going to take my dad down. We've got this. He says, David, my only thing that I can say to you is that the Lord would take vengeance, that the Lord would protect you, that the Lord would guide you. And may my walking with you be anchored in the Lord. May how I'm guiding you, may the Lord be my witness. See, David not only needed a friend that sticks closer than a brother, he needed a friend who knows God deeply that sticks closer than a brother. Not just any friend. A friend that knows the Lord deeply, a friend that can reorient to the promises of God. There is a need for us to have deep friendships in the body of Christ. Because if Jonathan doesn't know the Lord, he is not going to at all process with David in this way. This hits our need for friendship in the church. When someone does not know the Lord, they cannot process and reorient towards God in this way. See, this doesn't mean that we don't have any friends outside of the church, but this is saying when you need to process, when you need to be pointed towards Jesus, when the, the promises of God are, are really faint-hearted, we need to go to people that redirect us towards God, redirect us towards his promise, remind us of his faithfulness, remind us of his peace, remind us of his goodness, remind us that he's a God that takes vengeance. He's a God that protects. He's a God of refuge. Not that I'm an awesome friend and I got you. We need friends that are close. But also know, notice what Jonathan does. 
Jonathan sees this vexation that David has. He doesn't just shoot him an Instagram or Facebook DM. Say, hey, David, saw your story. Saw my dad's trying to kill you. So sorry. Send him prayers, XOXO. (laughs) He doesn't do that. He shows up in the mess. He says, I'm going to come there and I'm going to be with you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to process with you. And this is another way for David to be reoriented to see God, not only through word, but through the sacrificial manifestation of the fruits of the Spirit, of friends showing up. See, because there, there is a difference between communing and communicating. Communing is an exchange of presence. Communicating is an exchange of information. And in this digital age, we can get these so mixed up when we, when we think about connection with people and kind of merge these two and think, hey, because I'm exchanging information, because I sent that DM, which isn't bad. I'm not saying it's bad to, to pray for one another from a distance or those things, but, but we can leave it there. It's so easy to leave it there, and we mend these things. We bring them together, and we're very all right with mere exchange of communication symbolizing connection and communion and exchange of presence. And it hinders God's designs for friendship. It hinders his design for what it looks like to do life with one another. There are places for communication. Have you ever seen those hats where like this meeting could have been an email? You're like, it's like we didn't have to, we didn't have to do this. Right? There, there's places for that. But there's also times when as the people of God, we need to physically commune and see God in our brothers and sisters. Jonathan was displaying the fruits of the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, tangibly to David. He hands him his armor in verse 18. He says, hey, take this thing that's my protection, my sword, my armor, my shield, Take this. This is yours. He shows up and he tangibly displays this. And when we do this for friends, it does not show how great we are. It shows how great God is. That's what you're pointing to. Not look how great of a friend I am, but look how great our God is. And I want to right now try to tangibly embody his faithfulness to you, his love to you, his patience to you. See, this is an encouragement to our souls in ways that we don't realize. I, I, would, like, I would say you, you maybe feel this when you leave like hangouts with friends and maybe you talked about Jesus and, and you got reoriented by conversation and it was really great and you walk away and even amidst hard situations, like, man, like, God is good. I would say that's not merely because you got some good information from them, but you saw Jesus in them. This is why Jesus says, I'm going to send a helper that's actually going to be better. That we all walk with the Spirit, by the Spirit. And we very poorly, but we strive to, to manifest the fruits of the Spirit to the people around us in the way that Jesus did, who perfectly embodied that whole list. But when people sit down with us, it's not merely that they get good information from us, but it's that they see Jesus in us. 
There's a quote um, in an article about, uh, called Be Where Our Bodies Are. It says, when Christ followers craft practices that honor the body, we honor the incarnational Christ in the image of God we hold collectively as the created. This stewardship is not a symbolic honoring. This is a breathing, sweating, tasting, stretching, bleeding, suffering, noticing kind of honoring. We honor and glorify Christ in friendship that bears burdens. We honor and glorify the incarnational Christ in friendships that show up. See, when you're navigating the burdens of life, where do you go to be reoriented towards God's promises? Who's your Jonathan? Also, who's your David? Do people experience these things with you? When they're with you, do they experience the fruits of the Spirit? Do they see Jesus? Do they see how Jesus walked? Are they reoriented not merely by your words, but by your presence, by how you're communing with them? And the second part of need is also when we're stewarding our life for God. So we see with Jonathan and David, we see that David's going through these burdens when the burdens of life come. And then there's also need that comes based off stewarding our life for God. And we're in a stewardship series right now. And the thing about stewardship that we need to understand as we navigate this series is that stewardship for God's kingdom is a vulnerable thing. Stewardship for God's kingdom is a difficult thing. Stewarding your life for God is not easy. And you embrace and you take on a righteous suffering when you steward your life for God, for his glory. It does not promote a life of ease, but moves us towards a righteous suffering that we are not called to do on our own. This is what I want you to hear. Maybe, maybe you understand that part of, yeah, I, I realize I'm, I'm supposed to take on this aspect of stewarding my life and there's gonna be a righteous level of suffering that comes with that. You are not called to do that on your own. You are not able to do that on your own. The Lord gives us the blessing of the body to come around us as we, we steward our life for God. There's, there's, I think there's a really good example of this in Peter in the early church. And there's two snippets that I want to read from Acts here. Acts 4.23 says, When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So this is... In reference to Peter and John, they were before the, the council in Jerusalem. Acts 4 is one of the best passages when just thinking boldness. They're before the council, and they're like, we cannot but speak of what we had seen and heard. They're trying to get them to stop, get them to stop. They say, we cannot but speak of what we had seen and heard. They walk in boldness, and they're eventually released. And what did they do as, as soon as they were released? They went to their friends and reported. They were stewarding their life for God. This was not a day job for them. Jesus had utterly changed their life, and they were leveraging every single second they could for the glory of God, and that meant that they were starting up churches and discipling people and having conversations, and with that, really, really frustrating the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Jews of that day that was in contrast with the risen Savior, Jesus, and they did not like that. 
And Peter and John said, I am, going, I am called. I cannot but speak of what I've seen and heard. I cannot but speak of take this mission of what God has given you. I cannot but take it forward. So you're going to have to deal with this. But they don't do this in isolation. And as soon as they get released, they go to their friends and they report this. And the thing about friends, the friends translation there, it is that it actually means like their own. Like they went to their own people is, is how. So ESV says friends, NIV says I think like own, own friends, own companions. There's a lot of the translations, they put own on that though. They went to a place, they were set apart, they were with themselves, they were with their own people. They were with their brothers and sisters they were with their friends that were closer than their blood brothers and sisters. There's a brother that sticks, there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother they were with them. And they reported back to their close and intimate friends. Keeping that in mind as well, Acts 12, verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. So Peter and James are captured here, and James is actually killed. It says James, the brother of John, was killed, and Peter was thrown in prison. And as soon as he's thrown in prison, what do we see here from his friends, from the people that he's set apart with? There's earnest prayer made for him to God by the church, to God by his friends, to God by the people that he was set apart with. His friends begin to pray. Peter was on a mission stewarding his life for the church, and there had to be for him a confidence in doing that because he had the backing of fellow believers to pray for him as he stewarded his life for God. And I don't have time to read the rest of this narrative, but it's really interesting. He gets, like an angel comes and rescues him, and he like goes to his friend's house, and they don't believe it's him, and then they're all joyful that, it, that he's there eventually. But he, but he gets released, and he goes to his friends again, and he reports, and they're excited and they're praising God. And he has the backing of people praying for him. And then as he's released, the people that he goes to, to report. Peter needed the friendship of the early church as he stewarded his life for God. When you take a gospel stand and pursue gospel stewardship... Who do you report to, and where do you get prayer from? Again, when you take a gospel stand and pursue gospel stewardship, who do you report to, and where do you get prayer from? Who is your early church of believers you report to and are praying for you as you share the gospel and get utterly rejected? As you're in HR because of your beliefs and maybe not wanting to navigate your work environment in a certain way. When you're navigating really hard family dynamics because of your faith in Jesus. And whatever else the Lord is bringing to mind for you right now is you're like, man, I'm trying to steward my life for God, and there's this really hard thing that's happening. Who are you going to? Who are you reporting to? Who is praying for you? I plead that you would understand you're not meant to do that in isolation. As you pray that, that God's kingdom come and God's work be done in your work environment, in your family, you're not meant to do that in isolation. You're meant to do that 
with those that you're set apart with that follow Jesus and want to be praying for you and help come alongside you and help you steward your life for the glory of God. We need these. But here's the question I maybe want you to wrestle with. Are you living a life in need of this type of friendship as you steward your life for God? Do you need this type of friendship right now? See, because I think there could be an argument made that if you can navigate through life without these types of friendships, that you're not stewarding your life in the way that God has called you to. You're not taking the vulnerable steps of stewarding your life for God. Because again, it is a vulnerable thing, and you take on a type of righteous suffering when you steward your life for God. And you're called to have people around you to help you do that. But if, you're, if your life is so comfortable right now that you're like, yeah, I'm actually pretty good without prayer. Yeah, I'm actually per- pretty good without needing to report. Is, is that because right now you're not stewarding your life fully in the way that God would call you to? Who is your Peter in your life that you're praying for? Who's your Peter in life that's reporting to you, that's coming to you, that you're processing with, that as David and Jonathan did, as Jonathan reoriented in towards David, and then they're sitting down like, hey, you went through this really hard thing, and I'm sorry, God's good. Not I'm special, God's good. God's got you. You're doing an awesome thing right now for the kingdom. Like more than that, people just need that affirmation and encouragement. Wow, I am so encouraged by your faithfulness. This is what Paul says continually. Like, he never just thanks people directly for their work. He never says, hey, thank you for what you're doing. He says, I praise God for you. I praise God for your work. I'm so encouraged by you. I'm praising God for your faithfulness. That, That people throughout that whole region are coming to faith and knowing Jesus. Brothers and sisters need that. You have people in your life that need that as they're stewarding, and it's getting really difficult. They need to hear, hey, you're doing a godly thing, and this is why it's hard. And I want to pray for you, and I want to be you, and I want to know if there's any way I can come alongside you. But most of all, God's really good, and God's your refuge, and God's got this, and God's got you. Who's your Peter? Who are the people in your life that you're reporting to and going to? See, here's the beautiful part with these needs, with the the needs of when burdens come and the needs of when you're stewarding your life is we can navigate and pursue these friendships differently because of the basis that we have in the gospel. And in, in, I would say in an otherworldly way, we can navigate these friendships. We have a common grounded Jesus that is not able to be found in any other capacity. There's a really great quote by Tim Keller. I think it's up here on the screen. It says, To be loved but not known is superficial. To be known but not loved is our nightmare. Only Jesus knows us to the bottom and loves us to the sky. Jesus knows you fully, knows you deeply, and loves you fully, and loves you deeply. And we all have, when we place our faith in Jesus, we all have this same basis in Jesus, that we are fully known by our Savior and fully loved by our Savior. Fully known, fully loved all the stuff that comes with that. Psalm 16, 3, this is David writing. He says, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. 
He says, as for the saints, they're excellent, and all my delight is in them. All my love is in them. All my affections are toward them. See, because of the good news of the gospel, we can have an otherworldly delight in the body of believers. Not because I'm so special and, and can forgive so well, because I am fully known and fully loved by my Savior. And therefore, I can fully know and fully see and fully love others as well. I can genuinely put, pray, Lord, forgive my debts as, you, as I forgive my debtors. I can, I can actually pray that and go before God in that way because I'm reoriented towards the mercy of God in my life and it reorients towards mercy of my neighbors and other people in my life. For a completely different basis. Can display Ephesians 4.32 of let me be kind to one another, tender-hearted, Forgiving each other as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven me. What's the basis there? As God in Christ Jesus has forgiven me. As God in Christ Jesus has fully seen Chris, fully knows Chris, fully loves and delights in Chris. This is our basis for any type of relationship. This is our basis for any friendship. And with that basis, as for the saints in the land, they are all my delight. Because I can come to these friendships in a way that we cannot in any other capacity, in a way that is unconditional. Try to find me an unconditional relationship outside of a basis of Jesus, where there's been nothing being brought to the table. There's conditions and strings attached to everything we do today. But as believers, we share this basis of unconditional friendship that is found in the good news that, that Jesus sees us and knows us and has forgiven us in the cross. I fully see and I fully know and I fully love and I fully delight. So what does this practically look like to apply friendship, like to apply these things, right? I thing we need to understand is this is cultivated, like when you think cultivation, I like the image that comes to my mind is like digging a garden and getting all the weeds out and tugging and pulling and planting and working at it. It takes the sacrifice of tangibly showing up and displaying the fruits of the Spirit with one another. But it also takes the vulnerability to let people do that. It is a vulnerable thing to let people in your lives when you are really wounded and you are really hurt. Because instead of putting... Mending on that, they could very easily poke and dig. It is a vulnerable thing. But it takes vulnerability and it takes sacrifice to cultivate these levels of deep friendships. It also maybe takes conversations. And this is like kind of like, a, oh, is it like awkward to like go up and be like, hey, you want to be my friend? Like you wanna... I remember uh, Nick, Serena, and I, we went to a men's conference like, gosh, four or five years ago. And Matt Chandler did a really good sermon on David and Jonathan and friendship. And I remember we were walking out, and it was like, pretty good sermon, huh? It's like, yeah, it was good. It's like, so, <laughs> kind of like a DTR, you know, like a define the relationship, like all the, like, so you're like, you want to be my Jonathan? Or you want to be my David? <laughs> it's like, yeah, and it's like, yeah, cool. Yeah, no, I thought that's what you were going to say and get in my car. Like, we, we, we genuinely, like, we just had that conversation, and Nick has been a friend that has stuck closer than a brother for me many a time. 
And we just, we just talked about it. We're like, hey, like, do you want to like, kind of like these deep friendships, you can't like have it just widespread with absolutely everybody, but having some people, who's your David, who's your Jonathan, have the conversation. It's kind of vulnerable, it's kind of awkward, but then you have those people when you're walking through and you're trying to steward your life and the burdens of life come. It's like, okay, I, I know who I can process with right now and they're going to reorient me towards Jesus. I know who I can go to and I can, they're going to pray for me. I know that who I can text or call right now and they're going to show up for me. There is, I, I think, my wife and I have felt this so tangibly as we've went through some really difficult adoption stuff the past month. And to see friends show up and say, hey, what do you need at your house? We'll bring diapers. People literally had us on their to-do list. I don't even know what that means, but they just had our name, to-do list. It was on there. But we, ne- we needed the prayer and the surrounding of friendships. We needed the comfort and care of friendships. We needed that. And I, pr- I genuinely, I just praise God for those friends. I praise God for friends in our life as we're navigating really, really tough things. We're like, how can I be praying, and is there anything I can do? And, like, that's simple, but that's just showing up. And we, we try to oversimplify this so often, but God just says, show up. In the same way that I have shown up for you and humbled myself and humbled my desires, I, I've humbled myself for you. We do that for others. And, and through that, the, the peace that comes from meditating on God's word, but also just like tangibly seeing God through people showing up was something that I, I can't even fathom. Like I, I genuinely just like praise God for those things. And it's like, those people are awesome. God's really, really awesome. That's what it does. And that's when you know you have a good friend. When you walk away and you're like, gosh, you're awesome. Thank you so much. God's really awesome. Those are the friendships we should have in the church of sacrifice and love and displaying these things with one another. Cultivate that. Sacrifice, vulnerability. I think there's four questions, that kind of a friendship audit that you could have. Just, just asking yourself these questions. How, am I, how are you stewarding your friendships that you have right now? And are, are they friendships that you need to be stewarding in this godly way? Are you living a life in need of friendship in the church? When burdens come, who are your people that you process with in light of God's promises? When you take a gospel stand and pursue gospel stewardship, who do you report to and who do you get prayer from? This is kind of maybe like, how would you answer these questions right now? What does this look like to walk in friendship in this way, in the basis that because Jesus has done this for us, we have this, this basis and we just have a God that is really, really good. We just see him, we are pointed towards him. I want to encourage you guys to take those steps, process these things, maybe have a conversation after service today with some people, but taking these steps to steward your friendships that God has given you. Let me pray for us. Or we, uh, we can't really fathom um, a creator God that is a friend of sinners, but you are. And I plead that our hearts would just know that more and know that deeper. 
just be so enamored by the love that you have for us that, that you say, I am a friend of yours. Be so enamored by the mercy that you have of, of humbling yourself to the point of death on a cross for us. That we can be so enamored by that that we want to take that and sacrificially walk in friendships and vulnerably let others in. Or it's a thing that just changes lives. Help us see our need for friendship. Help us see our need to, to have people in our life and not try to do this thing on our own, but to have people we report to and get prayer from. Have people that we process with in light of the gospel, not just in light of our needs not just in light of what we want, but that are genuinely going to point us back to the Lord and just sit with us and display these things. Maybe they don't have the answers. That's not what you call us. You call us to just be there and help us see you through each other. Lord, just develop deep, deep friendships here in this body and just throughout your church as a whole as, as Satan just tries to cause dissension over and over again. Would you kill that and let there just be a unique, otherworldly unity that's founded in the grace of the gospel for us. Lord, we love you. Praise you. Pray all this in your holy name. Amen.